The ingredients for this holiday episode are Yuletide, Goodwill, and Godiva. I'm Andy Anderson, the mischievous maestro, and we're mixing up the perfect holly jolly combination. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. This is one of my favorite quotes by Charles Dickens, my favorite author. And this comes, of course, from his great novel, A Christmas Carol. And it was a novel that has given Dickens credit with helping to revitalize Christmas in England, where the holiday had declined since the Puritan rule of Oliver Cromwell in the 17th century. But we'll talk a little more about that in a few minutes. Can you imagine a time when Christmas wasn't popular? I can't. It is, without a doubt, my favorite time of the year. Starting the day after Halloween, I find myself smiling a little more, walking with a little more pep in my step, and humming holiday tunes. I go to the stores just to look at their holiday displays, and then I go back every week to see how it's changed and see what they've added. The holidays were a very special time in my family. My parents decorated the house inside and out. My father would drag us all outside sometime in the late night to see the house all lit up. And I remember thinking that this must be how everyone celebrates the holidays. My beautiful mother would make fudge and other yummy goodies and spread them among the house. There always seemed to be people popping by. And then Christmas Eve would finally arrive. My sister and I spent most of the day running amok, buzzed from all the sugar we had been consuming. And, just like clockwork, Santa would arrive. Our normally semi-quiet home would change into a full-on ruckus, with the sound of wrapping paper being ripped, echoing through our living room. And of course, there was always music playing in the background. So about that whole decline of Christmas thing that I talked about earlier, let's have a cocktail first, and then we'll dive into that. Our holiday special cocktail is the chocolate-covered raspberry martini. The chocolate martini was invented around 1955 here in the United States. It's a recent invention in comparison to other martinis, and it was created by none other than the legendary film stars of Hollywood, Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor, when they happened to come together during the making of the film Giant in Marfa, Texas. Both were great friends and lovers of chocolate drinks and martinis, and incidentally, one night during a party, they created the chocolate martini by mixing chocolate syrup and a chocolate liqueur with a vodka martini. The incredibly tasty drink attained a high popularity in America. So here's what you need. For this version of the raspberry chocolate martini, we are using Godiva chocolate liqueur, creme de cacao, raspberry vodka, heavy cream, and that's all you need, plus your cocktail shaker and a martini glass. Also, as a side note, if you don't want a raspberry chocolate martini, if you want just a regular chocolate martini, substitute the raspberry vodka for just a vanilla vodka. Then you've got just a regular chocolate martini. But tonight, we're making a chocolate-covered raspberry martini. So here's what you do. You start by putting ice in a cocktail shaker. And to that, add one and a half ounces of the Godiva chocolate liqueur. Now add one and a half ounce of the creme de cacao. Now add half an ounce of raspberry vodka. 
And finally, two and a half ounces of heavy cream. You can also use half and half, but it's just, it's a little bit better texture using heavy cream. Now put the lid on it and give it a good shake. Strain it into your martini glass. Garnish with a fresh raspberry and enjoy my friends, the chocolate covered raspberry martini. So my friends, are you enjoying your martini? I hope so. But here we are. When Prince Albert married the English Queen Victoria in 1840, the face of Christmas was changed forever. For centuries, several religious denominations and movements, such as the Protestant Reformation and Puritanism, had condemned and sometimes even abolished Christmas celebrations as pagan traditions. But when Prince Albert married Queen Victoria, he brought with him German customs. One such custom was the celebration of Yule, or Yuletide, a winter festival that emerged from an ancient German pagan religious festival. The customs and pageantry of Yuletide were mixed with the English celebration of Christmas. Christmas was now reinvented and included elements such as the evergreen tree, greenery, exchanging gifts, caroling, and Christmas cards. This repopularization of Christmas was also reflected in the music. The middle 30 years of the 1800s, from about 1838 to 1868, brought us our first surge of new Christmas tunes, including Silent Night, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, O Holy Night, Angels We Have Heard on High, We Three Kings of Orient Are, Jingle Bells, believe it or not, that was written in 1850, Up on the Housetop, around 1860, what Child Is This, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Away in a Manger, and Jolly Old St. Nicholas. Although some tunes written during this time remain in obscurity, such as Gather Around the Christmas Tree, which was composed by the same person who gave us We Three Kings, many are commonly known and sung to this day. The mid to late 1800s were a time not only when new Christmas hymns were written, but when hymns were translated into English and lyrics were added to older tunes, such as the second and third stanzas of O Christmas Tree around 1824. In 1871, three tunes that were centuries old were rearranged and reintroduced into the public. The first Noel from the 13th century, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen from the 16th century, and Here We Come a Caroling from the 17th century. Why so many in a single year? 1871 was the year that Sir John Stainer published the collection Christmas Carols New and Old, which included many of his own arrangements, and it was one of the first collections of Christmas carols that was published. But what about Christmas and opera? After all, this is a podcast about opera, isn't it? Christmas operas first appeared in the early 17th century. Opera was still a very new art form, and the operas were based on stories of the nativity. Secular theatrical works were banned during the season of Advent. However, by the mid-19th century, the ban had been lifted and the operas were now being composed based on secular themes, such as Santa Claus. Side note, there are at least nine Christmas operas based on Charles Dickens' novella, A Christmas Carol, including one in German and one in Italian. I had the pleasure of doing one several years ago called A Gilbert and Sullivan Christmas Carol. The music was all Gilbert and Sullivan with the words stripped away and the text to The Christmas Carol added in. One of the funny moments was the ghost of Christmas present singing, 
I am the very model of a modern supernatural. Some of the most famous operas based on Christmas themes are Monadi's A Mall and the Night Visitors, which was commissioned by NBC, and it was performed by the NBC Opera Theater on December the 24th, 1951, at NBC Studio 8H in Rockefeller Center. It was broadcast live around the world, and it was the first opera specifically composed for television in America. Hindemith's The Long Christmas Dinner, based on Thornton Wilder's play, and the story is about 90 years of Christmases, all delivered in a 50-minute, thought-provoking package. John Adams' El Nino, described as a nativity oratorio, and it retells the Christmas story with the first half focusing on Mary's thoughts before the birth in the stable in Bethlehem, and the second half covering the aftermath of the birth, Herod's slaughter of the holy innocents and the early life of Jesus. Rimsky-Korsakov's opera Christmas Eve, which is a folk opera set on a Russian Christmas Eve. It features a comical devil, a lot of dancing, and some magic slippers. Fitzner's A Christmas Elf, which is an opera about an elf and a grumpy Christmas tree that get together and cure a sick child with the help of the Christ child. Jake Heggie has two really brilliant Christmas operas. It's a Wonderful Life, which is based on the movie, and his chamber opera, Three Decembers, which is based on the unpublished play, Some Christmas Letters, by Terrence McNally. It takes place in the years 1986, 1996, and 2006, and tells the story of a famous actress and her two adult children. Heggie says, quote, It is the universal story about the family we wish for and the family we wind up with. Massenet's opera Verter isn't really a Christmas opera, but Act One starts with children singing a French Christmas carol, even though the action of the opera starts in the summer. And then it ends on Christmas Eve with Verter committing suicide while the children are singing the same carol from Act One. It's definitely a holiday downer and probably not good for the whole family, unless, of course, you have deep pockets for a shrink. Ricky Ian Gordon's beautiful opera, House Without a Christmas Tree, which premiered in 2017 at Houston Grand Opera. And of course, Puccini's La Boheme, in which Act 1 and Act 2 take place on Christmas Eve in Paris. But we all know how that one turns out. However, the newest Christmas opera on the market, which is taking opera companies around the world by storm, is Kevin Putt's Silent Night, which premiered in 2011 and won the Pulitzer Prize for Music in 2012. It's based on a multilingual screenplay for the 2005 Joël Noël and tells the story of the short-lived, spontaneous 1914 Christmas truce between enemy combatants in World War I. The opera is mostly sung in English, French, and German with some Italian and Latin thrown in. The core message of the opera, according to Kevin Putz, is, quote, War is not sustainable when you come to know your enemy as a person. When you see that the person you might be shooting has a child or a wife or has this life at home and they're just not the enemy, then it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to sustain war. A few years ago, on the 100th anniversary of the 1914 Christmas truce, Hershey's Chocolate had a beautiful commercial running during the holidays, loosely based on the same message. Side note, since we're talking about Silent Night, the classic carol Silent Night was first performed on Christmas Eve in 1818, and it was composed by Franz Xavier Gruber for the guitar. Why for the guitar? Because the church's pipe organ was broken. The text is from 1816, 
Father Joseph Moore was inspired to write the words after being called to travel through a rough snowstorm to bless the newly born baby of a poor parishioner. It was translated into English in 1863. Even though this is an opera podcast, you can't talk about holiday music without talking about contemporary holiday music. It's everywhere. The morning after Halloween, it starts playing at all the stores. It always seems to pop up at about the same time as the decorations and displays at some of the major box stores. Hmm, coincidence? I think not. But I'm not complaining about it. I love it. And as I said before, the holidays are the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's a song about that right? Speaking of that song, have you ever wondered what some of the lyrics were about? Let's explore a few of our most popular holiday hits and see what they really are about. Did you know that there's a line in Andy Williams' classic tune, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year, that harkens back to a time in England when Christmas had waned in popularity? Of course you already knew that because I talked about it at the beginning of the episode and I know you were paying attention. However, Andy Williams sings about scary ghost stories, a tradition tied to Christmas connections to winter solstice and the Germanic festival of Yule. Today, we think of ghost stories as a topic for Halloween, but in Europe, tales of the spooky and supernatural were a part of Christmas celebrations dating back to medieval times. In 1843, the most famous Christmas ghost story of them all, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, was published. The third most played holiday song of the last 50 years, according to the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, is Winter Wonderland. And Winter Wonderland was born in the same town as your favorite childhood waiting room diversion. Its lyrics were inspired by a snowy stroll through a park in the small Poconos town of Honsdal, Pennsylvania, just a few blocks from the building where the children's magazine Highlights would be launched 12 years later. In the 83 years since its publication, Winter Wonderland has been recorded by more than 70 artists. Its chorus has also been co-opted by the chant-loving supporters of the English soccer team, Newcastle United. But of course, they changed the words. Oh, did you wonder what that first two of the most popular Christmas songs were? Santa Claus is coming to town, and have yourself a merry little Christmas. The song we know today as Carol of the Bells is an early 20th century composition based on a Ukrainian folk chant celebrating the upcoming spring. Bells didn't come into the picture, nor did Christmas for that matter, until an American choir director heard the song and published it with his own lyrics in the 1930s. As the 1960s came to an end, the Beatles broke up and his solo career took off, activism became just as much a part of John Lennon's life as music. After the success of his peace-seeking single, Imagine, in 1971, Lennon told one biographer he had learned that, quote, a little honey helped the political message go down easily. That Christmas season, he took the same approach to spreading peace through another catchy song. Taking the optimistic message of War is Over advertising campaign that they had sponsored two years earlier, John Lennon and his wife, Yoko Ono, wrote and recorded Happy Christmas, War is Over with the Harlem Community Choir. Side note, in December 1969, in the middle of the Beatles' horrible breakup, Lennon played a concert, Peace for Christmas, in London to launch the War is Over campaign. Lennon had asked Eric Clapton and his former Beatles bandmate George Harrison to join them. Lennon's assistant, Anthony Fawcett, said, quote, right up to the last minute, we didn't know if George Harrison would show up. 
But because Christmas miracles do exist, George Harrison and Eric Clapton both appeared, along with a crowd of musicians that included Billy Preston and The Who's Keith Moore. It would be the last time that George Harrison and John Lennon would ever perform on stage together. The classic song about golden rings, pipers piping, and fruit-bearing trees full of various kinds of birds has its origin in England and France. But if you think the gift giver in that song is overly generous, wait until you meet their Scottish counterpart. A version of the counting rhyme called The Yule Days, published in Robert Chambers' Popular Rhymes of Scotland in 1847, is all kinds of extra with triple the partridges, an Arabian baboon, and a 13th day. You may not be aware that the 12 days referenced in the song refer to the days beginning on or following Christmas Day, not the 12 days leading up to it. In a number of Christian religions, Christmas is celebrated from December the 24th or 25th until January the 6th, which is called Epiphany, which celebrates the arrival of the Magi. Also known as Twelfth Night, Epiphany is celebrated in a variety of ways depending on local or cultural custom, but almost always with food, drink, and festivities. In Elizabethan England, the holiday often involved gender-bending or role-reversing costume play, the inspiration behind the name of William Shakespeare's disguise-heavy comedy, Twelfth Night, or What You Will. Okay, this one's not technically a song, originally, but it has been set to music by groups like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and recited against orchestral music, have been recorded by everyone from Louis Armstrong and Perry Como to the Chipmunks and the Muppets. Officially titled A Visit from St. Nicholas, the 1823 poem is largely responsible for the image of Santa Claus as we know him today. Although the poet Clement C. Moore wasn't the first to write that Santa's sleigh was pulled by reindeer, he is credited with naming the eight original members of the team. Rudolph, of course, came along later with a song and story of his own. By the way, do you know that Donner and Blitzen translate to thunder and lightning? No, you didn't know that? Well, you do now. And of course, the song I'm talking about is Twas the Night Before Christmas. Here's a sad story about one of the most beautiful songs ever composed. With 50 million copies sold, Bing Crosby's White Christmas is the best-selling Christmas song of all time and also the best-selling single ever, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. It first aired during the Kraft Music Hall radio show, yes, sponsored by That Food Company on December the 25th, 1941. Then-host Bing Crosby crooned the carol, which is soulful, longing, and sad anyway, but especially so at the time. Pearl Harbor had just been attacked a few weeks before. It turns out the song has a sad backstory, too. It was written by Irving Berlin, a Russian-born immigrant who, interestingly enough, did not celebrate Christmas because he was Jewish. Berlin's three-week-old son had died on Christmas Day in 1928, so every year on December the 25th, he and his wife visited their baby's grave. Jody Rosen wrote, quote, The kind of deep secret of the song may be that it was Berlin responding in some way to his melancholy about the death of his child. He wrote White Christmas for a musical that eventually morphed into the holiday movie Holiday Inn and ended up winning an Academy Award for the song. And then in 1954, it was the title track of another Bing Crosby Christmas musical, White Christmas. In the never-ending list of famous singers that have recorded holiday albums, here are a few of my favorites, and these are usually the ones you can find playing at my house anywhere between Thanksgiving and Epiphany. 
The Christmas albums of Frank Sinatra, Neil Diamond, Bette Midler, Bing Crosby, Elvis Presley, who, by the way, holds the record for the number one selling holiday album of all time with 10 million copies. Nat King Cole, Andy Williams, Perry Como, Johnny Mathis, Babs, Barbara Streisand, the Raycon of Singers, my wife made me add that one, Michael Buble, Seth MacFarlane, yes, the actor, animator, writer, producer, director, comedian, singer, and all-around brilliant guy, The Bare Naked Ladies, a fun holiday album that features both Christmas and Hanukkah songs, and if you haven't heard the album, the song Elf's Lament is absolutely hilarious. Sarah McLaughlin, Josh Groban, his work on the Polar Express soundtrack is some of my favorite of his singing. Mariah Carey, you can't mention contemporary holiday music without saying her name. Dolly Parton, her song Hard Candy Christmas is without a doubt one of my favorites and always makes me think of my childhood. Garth Brooks, Loretta Lynn, Brenda Lee, after all, who doesn't like to rock around the Christmas tree? And of course, Amy Grant. My wife likes to torture me by making me play one of her songs for her to sing each holiday season. And you can't fail to mention two really awesome bands and ensembles, Mannheim Steamroller and Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Their albums couldn't be more polar opposite, but no matter my mood, I can always put one of these on and instantly feel better. Of course, we all have our favorite holiday songs, and we all have the one song that makes us go crazy. So, for fun, I decided to ask the Mischievous Maestro crew to tell me their holiday favorites and their least favorite. So here we go. Ryan, our brilliant sound engineer. Jefferson, our wonderful art director. Megan, the very special assistant to the Mischievous Maestro. Yvonne, our production assistant and just amazing does everything guy. And then me was sending around some texts earlier today. And we decided uh, on the following categories. Our favorite contemporary song, our least favorite contemporary song, our favorite traditional or hymn, and then our least favorite or most annoying holiday song. Now, a couple of us also sent in honorable mentions for one of them. So, here we are. Favorite contemporary song. Ryan says, Underneath the Tree by Kelly Clarkson. Jefferson says, Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande. Megan says, The River, but the Sarah McLaughlin version. Yvonne all I want for Christmas, but the version from Love Actually. And then me, my favorite contemporary holiday song is Grown Up Christmas List, specifically the Michael Buble version. Now, Ryan and I both sent in honorable mentions or alternates for a favorite contemporary song. Ryan says Santa's Coming For Us by Sia. And then I said Believe from the Polar Express soundtrack performed by Josh Groban. Our least favorite contemporary song, Ryan Says, All I Want for Christmas is You by Miss Mariah Carey. Jefferson Says, Where Are You Christmas, performed by Faith Hill from the Grinch movie soundtrack. Megan Says, The Christmas Shoes. Yvonne Says, All I Want for Christmas, also by Miss Mariah Carey. And then my least favorite contemporary song is Baby, It's Cold Outside. And then here we are at our favorite traditional Holiday Hymns, Ryan Says, O Come All Ye Faithful, Jefferson Says, O Holy Night, and Carol of the Bells, it's a tie, Megan Says, Lo How a Rose Are Blooming, Yvonne Says, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, and for me, I'm an in-the-bleak midwinter type of person. 
Disclaimer, my friends, before I say the last category, these are just our opinions. We're not making fun of these artists. We're not making fun of these songs. We are just stating our opinion, and um, we're trying to be non-confrontational. But our least favorite and or most annoying Christmas song ever, in our opinion, are Ryan Says, All I Want for Christmas is You by Miss Mariah Carey. Jefferson says Santa Baby. P.S. Side note, if you want to hear a creepy version of Santa Baby, listen to Michael Bublé sing it. It completely changes the meaning. Megan's least favorite, most annoying, is the little drummer boy. Now, I find that offensive because I am a percussionist, so she married a little drummer boy, but well, that's a different episode. Yvonne also said the little drummer boy, so Yvonne and I need to discuss that as well. And my absolute least favorite the most annoying holiday song ever written, without a doubt, 100%, my opinion, is Last Christmas, specifically performed by Wham. So there you go, my friends. A little bit about the crew here at the Mischievous Maestro. And remember, that was all in fun. We hope we didn't offend anyone. We love all music. We appreciate all music. But sometimes, enough is enough. I would like to take this moment to thank you all for listening to our first season. We have had a blast putting it together for you, and we look forward to launching season two. Watch the website and all of our social media outlets for info on when that will be dropping. As winter closes in on us and the holidays start to fill our thoughts and dreams, I would like to remind you to please celebrate responsibly. We want you to be able to be with us for all of our upcoming seasons and shenanigans. Wear a mask. Protect those you love. Even if you aren't sick, you may come in contact with someone who is. It's just smart behavior. I know it's annoying, but the only way we will come out of this is if we all work together. From our family to yours, we wish you a very happy holiday season and a happy, prosperous new year. Now, grab your favorite holiday album, mix another cocktail, light the fire, and remember, my friends, Stay thirsty for knowledge. The Mischievous Maestro podcast was researched and written by me, Andy Anderson. Recording engineer and co-producer is Ryan Hall. Art director and co-producer is Jefferson Reidenauer. Very personal assistant to the Mischievous Maestro and co-producer is Megan King. Production assistant, co-producer, and all-around great guy is Yvonne Kahnem. Publicist for Andy Anderson is Jonathan Blaylock. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platform to get all of the upcoming episodes with exciting drinks. To learn more about The Mischievous Maestro and for the drink recipes, don't forget to visit our website, themischievousmaestro.com, and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Mischievous Maestro is so much more than a podcast, it's a lifestyle. And I would like to remind you to please drink responsibly. If you're not old enough, don't do it. And if you are old enough, do it in moderation. And if you're having a bad day and refuse to drink in moderation, then please follow these simple rules for overindulgence. Don't drink and drive. Please don't drink too much and then email your boss asking for a raise. And please, for all that's holy in the world, don't drink too much and then drunk text your ex at 3 a.m. This podcast is the sole property of the mischievous maestro and may not be used in whole or in any part without the expressed written permission of Andy Anderson.